Well, good morning, NCC. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you here. And if you're new, once again, we want to extend a special welcome. And if I haven't met you yet, my name's Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're glad that you're worshiping with us. If you're watching this later this week online, thanks so much for watching this video and joining and worshiping with us. And we're in our third week of this series called First Peter. And we're walking through this letter in the Bible um, that was written by one of Jesus' disciples. So this was one of the 12 young men that followed Jesus around. They saw all the signs and wonders that he did, saw the miraculous things. They saw him die and then be resurrected. And this is a few decades later that Peter is writing this letter to the church. And so this would have been read in a setting just like this. Um, when this letter first arrived at the church, and they would have read it and talked about what Peter was saying and what God was encouraging them with. And so there's a few themes that come about in this letter. So the first week we talked about this first theme that Peter starts off the letter with, and it, it's just this, Jesus has saved us. Don't forget that. He's writing to them decades, decades later, to us thousands of years later. Don't forget that Jesus has saved you and what that means that he's rescued you. He's redeemed you. He's bought you back from your sin and he's given you a brand new life. And then last week we talked about in week number two, this theme that because of that, God is working on cleansing us. So God is cleansing us so that we reflect him to the world around us. So Peter has this theme of God's working in your life. He's not giving up on you. Even though we mess up, even though we make mistakes, God's not giving up on us. And he's working and he's inviting us to be part of his story. And then we get to this third part of the book of Peter here, 1 Peter. And the theme is not so encouraging. It's actually pretty challenging. And he's saying, you've got to submit your life. You've got to submit your life to Christ and to one another. And this is a very difficult process. Like it's hard for us as human beings to give over our will and our wants and desires to someone else. My parents found this out when I was just a little, little kid. Whenever I was two years old, um, there, it's kind of a long story, but um, my parents, I, I got delayed in my speech, okay? So while other kids were starting to talk and form sentences and everything, I did not. I just grunted. And, and my dad wasn't having this. He knew I could talk, okay? He knew that I was able to speak and he knew I just didn't want to. So he'd hold a cup of water and I'd just go, uh, uh. And he'd be like, nope, Aaron, you're gonna say cup. Uh, uh. And he'd say, no, you're gonna say cup. And, and he's like, I promise you, I'm gonna get you to say a word. And, and one day he had me because I walked into the kitchen and on the counter, there was a bag of cookies. And my dad's standing there and he's like, do you want a cookie? And I did my, uh, uh. And he's like, nope, you're going to say cookie. And you guys, we went at it for about 45 minutes. I'm crying. I throw myself on the ground. Like, he knows I can say it. I've not said a word yet. He knows I can say it. He just knows that I, and so I'm grunting. And finally, I give in. My will bends to his will. And I say, cookie, just in a normal voice. And he's like, I knew you. Oh, you little two-year-old Aaron, I knew you could do it. And so he gives me the cookie. But he had me at that point because now he knew I could talk, right? I just didn't want to. And, and that's the struggle in our lives, not just as little kids, as you're trying to work with them and, and shape their will to the authority in their life. But we deal with that as adults. We don't want to bend our will to anyone else's. Even to God, it's difficult at times. And so Peter, in this part of the letter, he's challenging the church, submit your life to Christ and one another. Submit your life to Christ and one another. 
And so this is where we pick up the story. First Peter chapter two, verse 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue Bible in the seat in front of you. You can turn to page 589 and follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. So you can underline when I tell you to highlight it or um, write notes in the margins, but we wanna look at God's word. We wanna know what God is speaking to us. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What's he saying? You better submit your life to government leaders, political authorities. You have to treat them with honor and respect. The way that you talk about them, how you speak about them to other people, the way that you, your attitude towards them, it better be one of honor and respect. That's how you're to treat political leaders. Now, if you're scratching your head there, here this morning thinking, wait, is that really what he's saying? You're in good company because that's what the early church would have thought. Wait, Peter, you did not just write that to us. There is no way you're telling us to be respectful of the emperor who was Caesar at that time over the Roman empire. His name was Nero and they're thinking, Peter, there's no way. Why? Because Nero was a very, very wicked and tyrannical Caesar. If you've ever read anything in history, this is the guy that started the great fire of Rome. He burned half the city of the great Roman empire, Rome, that city, he burned half of it down just so he could build himself a bigger palace. And when people got mad, like Nero, what did you just do? He blamed it on the Christians. He said, I didn't do it, the Christians did it. And then he started to round up groups of Christians and he would burn them alive and say, this is their punishment. He would gather together groups of Christians and say, these are the people that are causing trouble. They're stirring up riots. They're causing divisions. They won't worship me as God. They're doing all of these things. They're from a different culture. They're a different kind of people. And so he would gather them in stadiums and he would let loose wild animals on them and watch them be devoured. This is who Nero was. And what does Peter write to the church? Hey, you speak of him respectfully. You honor him as an authority that God has put in place on this earth. You treat him with respect. And can I tell you in a world where it's so easy to go on Facebook and point a finger and cast blame and belittle our president or other leaders, senators, congressmen, governors, and we point the finger at them and we think that's okay. Peter's saying, you don't do that as the church. That's not how you talk about them. That's not treating them with respect. That's not honoring them. That's not following the example of Christ. This is God's will, is that you would live in a way that's respectful of those that are in authority over you. That's how I'm calling you to live. And why is he saying that? He's saying because you're a rep representation of Christ. And this has to do with our relationship with God. And so you fear God, you honor those that are in authority over you. Now, let me say this, you may not agree with everything that those political leaders are doing. You probably don't. But that does not change the way that you and I are called to speak respectfully of them and in an honorable way that we're not called to belittle them, but we're, we're called as the church to treat them with respect. And so that means 
We don't cheat on our taxes. We pay our taxes. We follow the rules and the laws that have been placed here in the land. Um, So we do that. We honor those and we show respect to those that are in authority over us. This is part of living out our Christian faith. This is what we're called to. And so Peter reminds them, honor and respect government leaders that are over you. And then he goes on in this next part. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is is it to you when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure it? But when you do good and you suffer and endure it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this is what you've been called to because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. Now, what is Peter saying? To us, he's saying, hey, in your workplace, in the place where you're employed, that person that is over you, that boss, that business owner, whoever that is, you treat them with the authority and the respect that they deserve. You submit to them. You follow what they're instructing you to do. You work hard as if you're working unto the Lord, as if you're working for Christ. You're not just working for an individual. This is an act of your walk and your relationship with Christ. And so when everyone else is around the water cooler and they're bad-mouthing the boss, you don't do that. Students, when you walk into that classroom and you think, oh, crap, I got the mean teacher, you don't join in with everyone else as they're talking about the teacher, as they're making, that's not what you do. You treat that person with respect. And you may be sitting there thinking, but she's unfair. She always targets me. I always get in trouble for talking in class or the boss always passes me up for promotions. He doesn't see how hard of a worker that I am. And Peter's saying that, yes, sometimes you're gonna suffer and it's gonna be unjust, but you don't just work hard for the good bosses. You work hard for those that are difficult to work with. For those sometimes that don't see the effort that you put in, they don't see what you do behind the scenes, you honor them and you respect them as if you're working for the Lord. You don't talk about them behind their back. That's not who you are. You are the church of Jesus Christ. So you're called to live in a different way, in a different manner. This is hard, you guys. This is not an easy teaching. And he's saying you saw the life of Jesus and Jesus suffered unjustly. Jesus had people over him. He was beaten and crucified, not for anything that he had done wrong. And yet he doesn't attack those that are coming against him. And that's what Peter says here. He says, Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. What's Peter saying there? He's saying, look at the life of Jesus and try to live like that. Look at what Christ did and follow that example. Follow in his footsteps that when people were cursing him, he did not curse them in return. And when you feel like in your workplace that that maybe you're being passed over, that that people don't see the hard work that you put in, you don't don't place curses on them. You You don't talk about them. You don't gossip about them behind your back. That's not who you are. You follow the example of Christ. And why? If you have your Bibles, just underline that last part. 
you're returning to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Peter's linking. How do you treat authority here on earth? Because it could have something to do with how you see heavenly authority and God in your life. How do you treat those with respect that you can see in the workplace, political leaders, because it may have something to do with how you treat God who you cannot see. And there's this issue in our life. And he's saying, hey, you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. God's the one that you're ultimately trusting in. God's the one that you're looking at that example with. This is the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Do you trust him as the authority in your life? Are you speaking respectfully of him? Do you trust when he makes decisions that you don't know if that's how it should go? You don't know what the outcome is going to be like, but yet you honor him and you respect him? Because he's saying that's how you should treat those that you can see here on earth. And you guys, just like I said a moment ago, this is difficult. This is not easy. Because as I mentioned, even as a two-year-old, my will did not want to bend to someone else's. And we're humans. And there's this rebelliousness in our hearts a lot of times. And it comes out with those that are in authority over us in those places that I mentioned. It can come out in times in our relationship with God. And Peter is saying, hey, you've got to listen to this. This could affect your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And so you're called to submit. You're called to honor. You're called to respect them. And this is hard. And sometimes we don't like this parts of the Bible. Like when I was reading through 1 Peter this week and I read through this passage a couple of times, I thought, man, can I just skip this part? Like, can we just go back to the salvation? God, you rescued me from my sin. You love me so much. Can we get to that part where you want to use me to reflect your goodness to the world around me? I don't want to hear how I have to submit to you. And it's hard. And as I was thinking about that, just God's word and how we interact with it sometimes, I came across this quote that I think is important to remember when we come to parts of the Bible like this. It's from a Christian author, Alicia Britt Cholie, who's one of Sarah's mentors. And she said this, you use things that are dead. You interact and relate to things that are alive. You use things that are dead. You interact and relate to things that are alive. And my question is, is this alive or is it dead to you? See, some of us, we're acting like this is dead. It's something that is not alive, and so we use it. We don't interact with it, we use it. It's a magic spell book, right? And when I'm in trouble, I can open it up and I can read a little verse, and all of a sudden there'll be more money in my bank account, my relationships will be fixed, everything will go perfect in my life. That's how we wanna use this, but it's not dead, it's alive. And so I don't use it, I interact with it. That means I read it and it reads me. That means this is God's voice speaking to me, not just in the parts where I like, where he's saying, I saved you, Aaron, I loved you, I've called you my son. It means that God's speaking to me in the difficult parts where he's saying, you've got to submit. You have an authority issue in your life, Aaron, and you've got to submit your will to those around you, to those that God has placed over you. That's what I'm calling you to do because it's an act of submission to me. I'm the shepherd and I'm the overseer in your life. And sometimes we want to act like this isn't alive and we can just open it up, rub it like a magic lamp, read it like a magic spell and everything will turn out good. And it's not, this is living. And we say this here, scripture shapes our life. So when we come to difficult parts like this, we have to know God's speaking to you. 
God's not just speaking to your spouse that you're trying to elbow. You need to listen to this because you talk about your boss. God's speaking to you. Students, God's speaking to you about that classroom that you're about to walk in and what your teacher is going to be like and how are you going to treat them. God's speaking to you about how will you treat your parents? How do you honor them? How do you respect them? Because that relationship will reflect your relationship with God. He is the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So that was just a little side tangent on the word of God. But we need difficult messages like this to remind us, God, you're calling us to live different as the church. And so he goes on to say this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And when they see your respectful and pure conduct, they're going to be won over. So do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you, that you wear, but let your adornment be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, just an honesty moment. I know in times past, hopefully not now, but guys, we've used this in the midst of an argument. Well, the Bible says you have to submit to me. This is not your place to talk, guys, okay? Just honestly, you gotta be quiet here, okay? This is for the ladies, okay? So this isn't your chance to pipe in and say, see, the Bible says you need to follow my lead and do it. No, this is for the women. And what's he saying here? Well, you could read this, and like I said, you could think, wait, Peter's sending women back to the Stone Ages, like he's saying, they just need to be quiet and submissive. That's, that's not, you're not understanding what's going on in this passage here. And so where he starts is, hey, we've got a lot of Christian women, believers that are following Christ, and their husbands are not. And here's why. In the culture that they lived in, women were second-class citizens. Really, they were just considered property. And that's how they were treated. A man would own livestock, he'd own land, he'd own wealth, and he'd own a woman. And that's, that's how it was during that time. That's how they were viewed. And many times, if you were a young couple and you had a baby and it was first a girl, you would throw it out to the elements because that's not how you handed down wealth. That's not how you handed down land. That's, you didn't want a girl to be born first. Like that wasn't a blessing. That was kind of considered a curse. And so you just throw them out. And so what ended up happening is Christians didn't do that. So you have a lot more Christian women than you do unbelieving women because they survive. Their families take care of them. And unbelieving women, they could just get tossed out as infants. And so they were like, sometimes you've got a lot more Christian women getting married to unbelievers and he's saying your life, the way that you honor and respect your husband, it's a picture of God's salvation. It's a picture of God's redemption. And he's saying this, he's saying the culture around you, listen to what he said. What is the culture around you concerned with? Outward beauty. Do you look like the front of that magazine? Do you wear the right clothes? Do you have the right jewelry? He's like, that's what the world wants to tell you. That's all you're worth, women. That's where your beauty comes from. He's saying, but I'm telling you, Jesus has redeemed you. And he's saying, you're a person of substance. You're not property. 
You're a person, you're a daughter of the king, you're a princess, you need to see yourself differently when the world would tell you all as you amount to is outward beauty. I'm telling you, there's a character of Christ inside of you and let that shine through. Let that be the beauty of your life. See, this was revolutionary. This was groundbreaking. While everyone else was saying women are just property, Peter is saying, no, there's substance to you. There's the character of Christ inside of you. Let it shine forth from your life and let it be an example to people around you. Let them see the way that you live, the way that you're honoring, the way that you're respectful, who you are as a person, and let them know that God is real. Let them see that inside of you. And so he's challenging. This is the way that you're called to live, not just as external beauty, not just as a sexual object, You're called to be a person, a character of Christ, to live that example so that those around you, that they will see that and that they'll actually praise God. They'll see the salvation of God. And then he goes on. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what's Peter saying here? Once again, You could read this and think, wait, is he just saying women are weak? Is that what he's saying there? And so I went back and looked at, hey, what does that word mean? And what he's saying is, once again, it spoke to the time is many guys were physically abusive to their wives because they didn't view them as a person. They viewed them as property. And Peter's saying, hey, you can, and there are people that that try to physically dominate their spouse, and that's not who you're called to be as the church. And so, yeah, there may be moments when you're stronger than her and where you could try to force her to do, that's not how you're called to live as Christians. You're called as a husband to submit and to serve and to sacrifice and you lay down your life. This is what we see in scripture for the person that God has given you to love. That's what you're called to do. Now, he is not saying women are weak. You guys, I watched Sarah go through 24 hours of labor. I'd have been done in the first 30 minutes, okay? So, so women, you are not weak. That's not what the word of God is saying here. What he's saying is, hey, there may be times where guys are physically stronger than you, and yet we're called to honor and respect one another. That's how we live in relationship with each other. This is not a macho, okay, men are the superior ones. And that's not what he's saying. He said, you're called to love and respect. That's how you live in harmony with one another. That's how you treat one another. That's how you honor each other in Christ. And that word weaker right there, it also had to do with class, how you were viewed in society. And once again, women weren't many times allowed to own property. They couldn't stand up and speak in a public forum like this or or in a political arena, in a court, they couldn't testify. And he's saying, that's not how you as the church view women. That's not what you do. He said, you treat them as those that have received grace, just like you receive grace that at the cross and in the church, that there is no separation. There's not a difference there as far as um, one over the other. He said, you're called to love each other. And guys, if you don't do this, it could hurt your prayers. You don't treat your wife with respect. You don't honor your spouse. He's saying this could be a dangerous thing in your relationship with God. You lord authority over them. You treat them as something less He's saying, this is gonna hinder your conversations with God. That's not how you're called to live as a church. You're called to serve. You're called to love one another. And so Peter's reminding them, this is what Jesus has said. You submit your life to one another. You submit to each other. You honor one another. 
He's saying this in marriage. Finally, all of you, you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter's saying, this is how you live with one another. In a marriage relationship, in the relationship with your boss or with someone that's in authority over you, with your parents, this is how you're called to live one another, humbly. And when someone does something wrong to you, I know everything inside of us thinks we're gonna get them back, but Peter says, that's not how you live with one another. You submit to each other. You don't look for ways to get back at one another. You don't look for ways to repay evil for evil, but you bless even when others are cursing you. And I'm just thinking, church, how many arguments in marriage, how many fights, how many divorces could be stopped if we would live with this principle of I'm called to serve others. I'm called to serve the person that God has placed in my life that I should love. I'm called to serve Sarah. And it's not easy to submit to one another. It's not easy when I come home from work and I think, well, well, I've been working all day and I just want to lay on the couch and then I see Sarah in the kitchen and I'm called to serve her. It's not easy when your spouse asks you to do something and you think, but, but I'm so busy and I don't have time to do that. And you have to think, I have to lay down my wants and my desires. It's not easy when the boss comes to you and says, here's another project. I need you to do this. I need you to get on this right away. And you're thinking, you don't realize everything else that I have to do. And yet, you know, hey, I've got to do that with all of my strength. I've got to work hard because I'm submitting to the authority in my life. This is how Peter is saying you should live your life. This is what God is calling us to, that, that we bless those. And it's difficult to gossip. It's difficult to talk behind someone's back when I'm having to bless them. When I'm speaking words of blessing. God, I pray that you take care of their family. God, I pray that you bless them financially, Lord. I pray that their emotions and their mind, Lord, that you would take care of them. It's hard to do that in one moment and then turn around and talk about that person behind their back. It's difficult. You're called to submit your life to others, to submit to Christ. That's what God is calling you to. That's what Peter is reminding the church of. And so he's saying, don't go out and get revenge that's not how you're called to live. You're not trying to get back at each other, but you're blessing and you're living in a selfless way and you're seeking peace. You're pursuing that in your life. You're not looking for arguments. You're not looking for fights. You're looking for peace in your life. And so he goes on now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. Peter's saying, submit your life. 
and ultimately you're submitting your life to Christ. When you say yes to your boss, when you say yes to your spouse, when you treat them with respect, ultimately you're honoring Christ. You're living out the will of God in your life. You do that with respect for it is better to suffer for something good if that, is be, if that would be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought to safety through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. It's not a removal of dirt from the body, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. So it's a lot. Now, I wish I had time to break down all of that last part of that verse, but he's saying, hey, sometimes you're gonna suffer. And sometimes it may not feel just. Even with someone you love, parents with your kids, kids with your parents, spouses, with close family members, sometimes you're not gonna agree. And he's saying it's gonna be difficult, but you submit to one another. Why? Because ultimately it's submitting to God. It's trusting God. It's saying, God, you're ultimately in control of my life and who I am. And so God, I'm gonna respond with respect. And as I've looked at this over the course of my years, my parents and I, we struggled a lot when I was little because I had a very strong will. And I look back now after 40 some years and I think, God, you used mom and dad. I didn't always see it, but you used them to help me to learn how to submit to your voice. When I don't want to, and you're saying, Aaron, I need you to do this. I need you to follow my lead. When I just wanted to have it my own way, you used my parents all of those years to shape my will to learn how to listen to your voice. I didn't always like it, but people that were in authority over me, bosses, teachers in classrooms that had to correct me and say, Aaron, don't do that. You gotta listen, you gotta pay attention. Bosses that said, hey, you did that wrong. Let me show you how to do that differently. And they had to correct me. I didn't like it in the moment. I got mad. And yet I look back and I see, God, you've continually used people in my life to teach me to submit to authority so that ultimately, God, I would submit to your authority so that ultimately my will would bend to your will. And you've used a lot of different people to do that, but it's so that I would follow your lead, God. And some of you in this room, you may be sitting there thinking, but Aaron, it's so unjust. You don't know the person that I'm dealing with. You have to trust ultimately God is in control of your life and he's leading you and he's guiding you. And it's his voice you're trying to learn to follow even in difficult moments.